Darling, didn't anyone ever tell you the rules you use to judge yourself aren't real? Okay, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Confidently She. This is coming to you after the new year, after the holiday season, after the release of the second book I wrote, but the first book that has been publicly available, The Body Image Solution. You can order your copy on Amazon. Just type in the Body Image Solution. It's the first thing that comes up. Get your copy. It's on Kindle and available in paperback. And this project really came out of a lot of reflection that I did around my 30th birthday. So I was starting to feel a little lost in my purpose and um, unsure of the best way to help women who do struggle with their body image and the relationship with themselves and their body and doing it in a way that's compelling enough for, for you to give it a try. I think that's the biggest obstacle today is there are so many things that promise these big, grand, great results, but especially in the world of dieting and exercise and fitness and body, it's all over-promising and under-delivering. And when you go to find a solution for this chronic issue, everything seems too good to be true because for the most part, it is. So obviously I have the Body Image Solution online program, which is a significant investment of time and money and energy and focus. But I was thinking and brainstorming of what would be a great way to give people an introduction to this program in a way that it's kind of low risk. You know, the book is, I think, $15 right now. It's a pretty quick read. So if that's something you want to fix and improve and work on in this year, whether you're listening to this in January, February, September, November, it doesn't matter. If that's something you know that is an area in your life that is causing you stress and anxiety, check out the Body Image Solution. I am so proud of that project that I put out there. It's available on Amazon. You can get it in a couple days and... That really helped close out 2022 for me. It, it put a bow on it. It put a bow on a lot of work that I've been doing. And it felt really great to finally be able to say, yes, I am an author, even though my other book, Social Currency, which has been done for over a year, is not going to be published until I think October or sorry, August of this year because publishing timelines just, you know, things things take longer. But The Body Image Solution is available now. I self-published on Amazon. And if you 
are able to leave a rating and review of the book on Amazon, that goes such a long way. I would be honored to read your feedback uh, and hopefully get, you know, a 10 out of 10, five star review on that project. But am I here today to talk about my book? No, I'm not. But I want to give you the headspace that I've been in that allowed me to reflect and bring this topic to you after I have sat with it for some time. And that is the topic of singleness. Oh no, she said it. It's the, the disease of Christianity. It is the, Chris, the church's boogeyman. What do we do with these single people? We got to get rid of them. We got to marry them off. <laughs> the lament of the single Christian. Am I right? But this time it's not just Christians. It's kind of everyone in the world right now. Dating and relationships is a huge topic of discussion within popular culture. And I find it very interesting when you look at this through the lens of faith and through the lens of Christianity and through the lens of the Bible. Because sometimes the lens of Christianity, what popular Christian culture says, is not the same as the lens of the Bible, which sounds crazy, but you know it's true. They don't always line up. And for me, this topic is has always been close to my heart because I, I am single. I almost got married when I was like 24, and thank God I didn't. Both my sisters have been divorced and our experience with men outside of our family and my brothers are, are, I have a good relationship with them and I have a good relationship with my dad, but my experience with men outside my family in a romantic sense has not been good. Uh, whether they claimed to be Christian or otherwise, it has not been good. And that seems to be the experience that a lot of women outside the church and inside the church have had as well. So rather than trying to talk about the, the typical topic of like, how do we date as Christians? And, and what's this? What's the best way? It's like, I think we're asking the wrong question. The question is, should we do this? And when I think about this, I always try to start with the, the posture of, prayer and asking God, what do you think of all this? Like, what do we do here? And what's the, what's the answer? Like, what are we missing? I understand we live in a fallen world. I understand that we have sin and as society develops and people are able to support themselves. So I think about it kind of like this is the next evolution within humanity. There was like the industrial revolution, right? Where like machines came onto the scene and there was kind of the education revolution where now everyone is educated. I feel like we're going through a relationship revolution where 
people are able to say without being shunned from society, you know what? I'm leaving this long-term relationship and I'm able to support myself because as a woman, I'm able to have a job now. My livelihood isn't going to go into the gutter if I don't have a relationship with a man. We're seeing this. And so my prediction is we're going to see less relationships But the relationships we do see are going to be healthier. They're going to be good. Or it's going to be the people who still haven't participated in that relationship revolution. And and they're kind of stuck in these old dynamics that we, as as a human culture, as a human race, hopefully are growing out of, you know, we're not giving into some of these manipulation tactics anymore. And, you know, we're, we're really not settling for anything less than a healthy, safe, supportive relationship. So that's what I see happening. And that's, that's what I think we will see coming out of this, like, relationship revolution. Because we're seeing individuals are able to support themselves in a way that they haven't been able to in previous generations. But there's got to be something we're missing. Like, why isn't this working even within the church? Why isn't this working even within so-called Christian relationships? And then that had me thinking, well, growing up in the church, marriage was something that was really pushed on the congregation. Like, if you're single as a Christian, you're seen as this, like, second-class citizen that you haven't fully matured in your faith yet to be ready for marriage. And it always seemed like, you know, the married couples were taken more seriously as Christians than someone who's single. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit because then the church doesn't have events for people other than, you know, kids' events or spousal retreats or whatever else. And it seems like the agenda is set for families and the agenda is set for married couples, but there's no agenda set for just single adults. And that is where the institution of the church seems to say, we assume if you're coming here, you're married and you have kids. Or you'll quickly get married because that's the trajectory you're supposed to be on. And that got me to start thinking about where does it say that in scripture? Is it really true that marriage is the goal of living a fulfilled Christian life, of living a complete and mature Christian life? Does it involve having a spouse and raising children? This is how my mind works. It's like, okay, so this is where it got me. And now let's ask some more questions and then let's go to the scripture and see, see what it really says. Because the rule that many Christian women are judged by is 
Are you married? And if you're not, why? Why not? And there's so much shame that goes along with being single in the church, especially as a woman, because there's that cultural idea of, oh, that means nobody picked you. (laughs) But as we see in the culture, actually what's happening is women are rejecting men so much, so much. I, I talk with my friends both within the church and and outside of the church about the ways that men are letting them down and not treating them well or they're not intentionally pursuing a relationship with them or they actually they don't take their faith as seriously as they would need to in order to lead the way that men are called to lead in a christian marriage and all that so This is setting the table for what might be one of the longest episodes that I've done in a while, but we're going to get into deconstructing this rule that in order to be a fully mature and developed Christian, at some point in your life, you must get married. And if you're a woman, you must bear children and stay at home with those children and raise them and, and become all about your children. So the first piece of evidence that I see when I look at scripture and the story of God that is scripture, I see Jesus coming to earth, being a perfect human during his time here. Okay. That's what we say. That's what we believe. And he did not get married and he never had kids. So if your argument is marriage is a natural progression of your faith and of of being an example of Jesus, I would say, show me when Jesus got married. (laughs) Like, how is that the example if the example didn't do that? Right? Very simple. You don't even have to, I don't even have to give you a specific verse to call that one out. And if you really read 1 Corinthians 7, it's Paul talking about how marriage is a concession, not a command. And Paul recommends when you come to faith, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, obviously don't like leave your wife or or husband. Don't break up the marriage just to pursue your faith. But remain as you are. Now, let me sit with that for a second. Because when I realized that, I was like, this is totally different from the recommendations and the pressure and the expectation that I felt growing up in a church body. The expectation was always, how soon can you get married? And it was, it was almost this, well, no, it actually was this culture of, we just need to make sure that none of these kids in the congregation has sex 
before they're married so that, you know, we can check that box. I heard a story about someone in my church who was in one of those meetings when the youth pastor said, we just got to get these kids through high school and through, you know, we just got to make sure they don't have sex. And this person was like, what? <laughs> is is that really the goal? We just want to really make sure that everyone stays a virgin until they're married? Like, that wasn't even the goal of, like, where do we find that in scripture? No, the goal should be focusing on becoming more like Christ and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit and knowing how to how to deal with your sin when it does come up and when it does happen. How do you deal with that? It's not, let's make sure everyone's a virgin and then get them married so that we can avoid all sexual impurity. Because guess what? Sexual immorality can exist within a marriage. It's not like once you get married, all sexual temptation goes out the window because now you're able to have sex with your spouse. Like, if, if that were the case then no one would ever be unfaithful. Husbands wouldn't be struggling with pornography addiction if that were the case. So we have to not be so naive about the realities of the world that we live in and the realities of the temptations that we face and that there's no cure. There's no institution that's going to cure our heart other than a close relationship with God. And even that will not cure it in this lifetime. Because in that example, in that example of we just got to get these, get, get these kids through high school and through whatever without them having sex, you got to ask yourself, who is your savior? Is it your wife or your God? Who's going to save you from, from sexual immorality? Is it your wife, a human being, or is it God? Same for your husband. Who, who is going to save you from your sexual immorality? Who is going to save you from harm or provide for you? Who is going to do that? Who is your savior? Is it your husband or is it your God? And I think that Paul makes a very compelling point when he says that you should remain as you are. And if you absolutely cannot control yourself sexually, fine, take one wife, take one husband and do that. But he doesn't say, and make sure you go and have a ton of kids. He doesn't say that. Now, I am not unfamiliar with the Bible. I understand that in Genesis, it says, you know, be fruitful and multiply, go fill the earth and subdue it and all of that. And you know who he said that to? Adam and Eve. He said it to Adam and Eve and he said it to Noah after he wiped out the entire population of the planet. So, yes, that makes sense. It's it's like <laughs> yeah, Adam and Eve needed to go into the earth and subdue it and multiply and and be fruitful. 
but also like fruitful doesn't necessarily always mean procreate, right? Sometimes we project things that we want to read into the words that we see in scripture. Sometimes. I'm not saying that it doesn't mean that, but I'm saying it doesn't always mean that. So yeah, the Lord said to Adam and Eve to go into the earth and subdue it, be fruitful, whatever. He also said to Noah, be fruitful and multiply, like fill the earth, right? Okay. Where in the New Testament does it say Christians get married and have kids so that eventually we take over the world with all of our kids being believers and making sure that they never stray from the faith? Like, nowhere. It actually says the opposite. And I just think that we don't want to hear that because that makes us uncomfortable, because then that means the only thing we can really be occupied with in our time and in our pursuits has to do with reaching others for Christ. And that feels uncomfortable. It's easier to just get married, have kids, and tell your kids about God. I'm not saying being a parent is easy, but I'm saying when it comes to our hearts and what makes us squeamish and what makes us go, oh, I don't really want to do that. For me, the first one sounds worse. The first one sounds like, oh my God, that would be so uncomfortable. It would be so much easier to teach a child about God than it would be to go and reach a full-grown adult who already has their ideas about the way the world works and about who God might be and about what it might mean to be Christian. This is where we have to ask ourselves, am I pursuing what God is calling us to or am I pursuing the American dream? Because you know what that sounds like to me? The American dream. That sounds like Grow up in a good home, go to a good school, get a good education, get a good job, get married, have three kids, buy a house, retire when you're 65. It sounds like we're using God to fulfill our American dream. And that's not what scripture is concerned with. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> Believe it or not. Scripture doesn't care about America. It didn't exist when scripture was written. Now, yes, Proverbs 15, 22 says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. Okay, that's true, I suppose. But when it comes to the recommendation and when it comes to what the church should be obsessed with, there should be more of a focus on singleness. I'm not saying don't get married, but Paul is. Paul is saying don't get married. And I think we need to take that a little more seriously because what I keep finding in my in my, ugh, I guess, struggle, <laughs> my struggle to trust that the 
the laws and the rules and the guidelines that God gives to us are good and they are for my benefit, what I keep needing to, well, what I keep discovering is a lot of it is telling me you actually don't want that thing you think you want. You know, I really want to do this. I really want to be this person. I really want to have this thing. And God is saying, no, you don't. Like if you just knew what that meant, you wouldn't be asking for it. If you really knew what that meant, you wouldn't ask for it. And so in my wisdom, God is saying this, by the way, (laughs) in my wisdom, I am going to prevent you from getting that because I know you think you want it, but you don't. It's the same thing when Jesus was talking with the apostles and the the disciples, sorry. And they were like, Lord, you know, I want to be sitting on your right hand and I want to be this and I want to be that. And he's like, dude, no, you don't. Like if you knew what that really meant, you would not be asking for it because that meant that they would suffer um, with him. So we need to ask ourselves more often, what do we take from culture without even thinking twice? What life pursuits do we just take from culture that aren't always aligned with what scripture says? The big things to me are marriage, kids, retirement. I'll talk about that in a different episode. Wealth. We pursue these things. We still pursue all these things, don't we? Even though time after time, God says through scripture, not the best idea. (laughs) Not the best idea. And Paul kind of goes in on this, actually. Like 1 Corinthians 7, I didn't realize how how deep he goes. I'm just going to read some here that I've highlighted. This is within chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. See, it's protection from the struggle. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. So true. How he can please his wife. And His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This is exactly what I just said, isn't it? trusting that these things are actually for our benefit and it's so true when when you are in a relationship okay I haven't been married but I've been in long-term relationships and when you are in that relationship even if it's healthy even if it's good you're concerned with what pleasing your spouse being the best version of yourself for your spouse, staying in shape and being attractive for your spouse. You know, all of these things is that so the world can look at you and say, he did good 
or she did good, or they have a great marriage, or look at that sweet little family. And I'm not saying that that's a bad reason to do things. I'm not saying that that's your only intention, the only reason you're, you're doing that, but it's a factor. It's a factor. But when you are living completely free, not just from a relationship, but from the idea of a relationship, I have only reached that mindset a couple times in my life. I'm not exaggerating when I say it has been some of the most enjoyable time of my life. When I go out for a walk and I am not noticing if there's an attractive guy who's noticing me and I'm not concerned with whether or not this guy who's looking at me is going to come up and talk to me. I'm not thinking about walking and exercising so that I look a certain way. It's so that I feel a certain way and so that I can get out into the world that God created and I can experience and enjoy the nature and the breeze on my face and just getting some exercise so I can clear my mind and just be out in the world. It's a very different feeling than, I wonder who's going to come up and talk to me today. I wonder if this guy is going to be my husband. Oh, I wonder if that guy is going to be my husband. Oh, I wonder when I'm going to meet him. Oh, I wonder when na, 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 na. All these things that honestly, you know, the, the church plants in your mind too. The church says, oh, God has someone out there for you. Does he? I don't know. Does he? Is that, is that something that is promised? No, it's not. Do I think that God uses marriage to to refine your faith and grow you? Absolutely. But he also uses friendships and other relationships. He uses everything. It's not like marriage is the only thing that will do that. So that's that's a, a big realization for me, realizing that Singleness is not something you need to cure within the church. And in fact, when it comes to sexual immorality and temptation, I think those within marriages are at a higher risk for damaging things than those outside of marriages. Because at least if I fall into a temptation, I'm not going to be committing adultery. I'm not going to be hurting anyone but myself in the long run. So if if anything, the focus of sexual purity should be within marriages, right? Because it's not like it's impossible for for you to be sexually immoral within your marriage. I was just talking to my friend today about how a married man hit on her and kissed her right after she told him, what are you, why are you hitting on me? What are you, what is your end goal here? Like, 
you're married, you have children, this is not something you should be doing. And then he kissed her. And it's just like, okay, like, it's crazy out here. And the things that are going on inside people's marriages uh, are sometimes way worse than than what single people are even doing. Um, one thing I don't want to do is gloss over something that has been used as an anchor in a lot of thought about this topic and and that's that be fruitful and multiply you know go into the earth and and subdue it and all that in in genesis both to adam and eve and then to noah and you have to understand when you look at the the bible as a whole this story god tells things to some people and he tells different things to others so you can't pluck something out of the Bible and say, this applies to everyone all the time. The other thing you can't do is segment and say, well, that was in the Old Testament. Therefore, I never have to consider it or follow it or think about it. Um, You don't just get to throw away the Old Testament because Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament. Otherwise, it wouldn't be included in scripture if it wasn't important and and you didn't need to know it. But if you think about just the simple context of when God told people to multiply, it was when there weren't any other people. There, There weren't. After the flood and literally at the beginning of creation. And so what this brings us back to is as Christians, as members of the church body here in this life. What should our aim and goal be during our time here? What should it be? It should look drastically different than those who do not believe, right? Our life goals and aims shouldn't be a carbon copy of the American dream. I find it funny there was this sound that was circulating on TikTok. I don't know if it was taken out of context. I hope it was. But it was something about, you know, the Bible describes women, mostly uh, divorced or unmarried women, as loud, uh, like unhappy gossips and whatever like um and of course women used that to put it over you know them just living their lives and being unbothered and men being upset about this and criticizing them and it just hit me that you know what actually (laughs) paul does say that women will be happier single So something to think about. And then that made me think next, hold on, wait for it. In a culture and a time period where it was difficult for women to earn their own money, have their own, you know, be be able to safely live on their own without the protection of men. How do they survive? Where does that leave women? Well, Acts chapter 4 talks about how all the believers at the church in Antioch shared their possessions. No one within the church had any needs. 
They lived together. They shared everything. They sold their possessions and gave it to to the church. They even went so far as as, uh, Ananias and Zephira. I don't know how to say that name. Zephira. Zephira. I don't know. It's in Acts. They sold a plot of land that they had, decided to keep some of the money for themselves, but lie about it and say, yep, this is all the money we got from that land. And they died. Literally dropped dead because of the, because they lied and they held back that portion of it. So I think that's super interesting. But what what the book of Acts really shows is not only people being incredibly generous, self-sacrificing with their giving, actually, to a point where they, ju- they, they cared more about making sure that everyone had what they needed than making sure no one took advantage of, of them. And what you also see, like in Acts 18, you see women playing a role in this church. You know, they, they, I, I don't know the details of what role they would always play, but Priscilla and Aquila played a role teaching a man called Apollos, you know, the way, the way of God more adequately is what it says in Acts 18. So Apollos was going around preaching and sharing and talking about Christ. They came in contact with him, said, hey, you know, we're going to teach you a little more about God and a little more about Christ and this whole thing so that you are more equipped. So they were helping equip believers. And so, again, if you look at the Bible as a story of God, right, not even as a religious text, if you look at it with no agenda and you just look at what is there, you will see stories of God using women to accomplish his purpose. And this was in a time where women had no rights. They were property. They were bought. They were sold. They were not listened to. The story of Esther, for example. The girl saved the entire nation of Israel from being wiped out. She saved all the Jews. Do you think that a God who designed women for the sole purpose of procreation and cleaning and cooking would go out of his way to use them in a different capacity for his people and for his glory and for his purpose? I don't see how that makes any sense. But what is it that we actually see? We also need to think about how patriarchy is influencing our reading of the text and our understanding of all of this because it influences it. Just like capitalism influences it. Like everything influences our perception. So we have to ask without any preconceived notions, what do we see? What we see throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, is the use and inclusion 
of women in this story. The God of Israel values the actions of women, the competence of women. He gives wisdom to women and discernment and strength to women, just like he gives it to men. So women are able to survive in the church of Antioch as a single woman by this communal effort of the church. Today, you know, it's different. Women are able to do things on their own in, in our country. Women have rights. And the work of feminist movements gave them those rights, the right to vote, the right to own property, the right to own a bank account, the right to open a business. And so feminism helped women have influence and ownership in this world which then allows women to have livelihood apart from marriage and actively contribute to the work in the church. Money, monetary-wise. I know a handful of women who are Christian who make a lot of money and their contribution to the church is significant. Without the work of feminism, that wouldn't happen in America. The only type of contribution women would be able to give is, you know, the, the literal work of their hands, the literal words of their mouth. They wouldn't be able to give in the same type of way. We, they wouldn't be able to open their home that they own to members of the church body. It would have to be, you know, through their husband or maybe that home was already filled with kids. Like single people have so much more opportunity to impact the world. And I I see this as another clever scheme to distract Christians and get them thinking about the wrong things and not fully being used to their potential as an instrument of, of the kingdom, as an instrument of God. Every time I talk to a mom, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's a huge sacrifice. You're, you, Paul wasn't wrong. You know, when, when you are a wife or a husband or a mother or a father, like your devotion, your focus is on that family and your focus is on your spouse. Having time for, for what God is telling you to do, that's challenging. Having time for reaching, reaching others is challenging. It's expensive to have a family. It's expensive to be alive, let alone provide for other people. So I get it. <laughs> I understand why in the New Testament it is recommended that believers stay as they are whether that is single married what have you that is actually the preferred state according to the scripture yes scripture talks about how to love your wife and sacrifice for your wife and give to your children and submit to each other out of love 
and how to do marriage correctly in the eyes of God. But it doesn't, it's interesting to me as well that there aren't passages about like how to find a spouse. (laughs) How to date. Like the exclusion of the topic speaks volumes about the importance of the topic. It's not even there. (laughs) Vic doesn't even mention it. So it's like, maybe this shouldn't be the focus. The fact that it isn't even there speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. So... This is what has been pressed on my heart and it has not been a comfortable realization for me because as someone who deeply desires a a romantic relationship, a marriage that is described in scripture, That was a hard pill to swallow to kind of be like, oh, I actually, I actually think that there's something that we missed here. Like maybe this isn't what the whole focus of church should be around. I remember I was, I was in a church service and the pastor called out to someone like oh is so and so are they here and and they were like oh wait oh something like yeah um oh you guys are getting married next weekend and he turns to the husband he turns to the guy and he goes let's call him David David your life is about to get so much better and the crowd kind of like laughed and stuff and I my jaw dropped like that is not a biblical perspective (laughs) actually marriage is difficult it's not a vacation for the husband but man that is how it has been pitched to the church body Get a wife. She'll take care of you. She'll clean your house. She will cook for you. She will submit to you. She'll never question you. And and you get to be respected. And all you have to do is love her. Oh, that oh, that made me so it just you know when you can feel it in your spirit when something is like, ah, uh, no, <laughs> not aligned with with scripture not aligned to how how god would react in this situation but it's strange how how much churches will celebrate marriage as if it is this upper level of the christian walk like if you get to walk with a spouse you are better than if you are walking just you and and the Lord. Um, and I disagree. Scripture disagrees. Um, and I think it's time we separate the American dream from 
what God is actually calling us to do in our lives. And it's difficult, you know, um, marriage is a high calling. And that's the other piece of this, that when you really look at what is expected from a husband and what is expected from a wife, that's not something that should be entered into lightly. It's not something that should, it's something to be taken very seriously. And so in closing, I'd like to, I'd like to just take some pressure off for these, for the single ladies, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is us kind of coming to the conclusion finally that like, you know what? Paul was on to something. Because when I first read those scriptures a few years ago, I was like, whatever. Like, I, I, I want to get married. I want to, you know, I, I want to have that type of family and all of that type of close relationship and what have you. But after I have been single these past four years and dating here and there, the continual disappointment and routine of heartbreak, but not not always heartbreak, but just this this continual disappointment and a longing unfulfilled over and over and a reminder of like, no, this isn't it either. No, this isn't it either. This person isn't serious about their faith. That person I'm just not attracted to. Like the amount of heart space that desire is taking up, it's a distraction. And maybe it really is true that you know, you're just, you're better off to, to not pursue that. It's similar to other things that the world tells us will make us happy. And, um, even that churches will, will promote sometimes, uh, God also warns us about the pursuit, the, the ruthless pursuit of money and the love of money. Um, I think a lot of us don't really believe these things until we experience these things and we go, oh, actually, yeah. God was right about that too. Like (laughs) for some reason, you know, we think that we're going to be the exception or it's like, yeah, but it'll be okay for me to do it. And it's just like, yeah, as if God didn't, uh, as if God doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Like, come on. So I would love to see more encouragement for single Christians not encouragement not encouragement that one day they'll get married and be cured of their loneliness because remember like there's no cure for some of these human conditions on this side of eternity there's just no cure for that but encouragement in hey i'm still going to be your friend even though you're single and i am married with kids hey you know you're invited to our family gathering because I know that you don't have family. You're not married. You are you don't have a spouse's family here that you can go to their thing. Like, come to ours. And 
yes, like Friendsgiving and, and friendship type holidays are all well and good, but being invited to the actual family event is a whole nother level. And I have been very blessed to have experienced that um, here this past holiday season. It was such a blessing to be invited to the family Thanksgiving of one of my new friends here in the church. And things like that, it's, it's like there's advice that I heard circulating years ago that you know, married women should limit the amount of time they spend with divorced women or with single women because they will not be a good influence on the marriage. They will have bad things to say about men. And not that I have openly experienced this like like blatantly, but I have noticed a pattern that typically when I join a new church or when I start meeting people, it's only other single people who put in the effort to be my friend or to spend intentional time with me. And if that is the posture of the church, it's no wonder the majority of the congregations are married people with children because those are the people who are accepted. Those are the people who are pursued in friendship. Those are the, they're like you. So those are the people who stay. They feel like other people are like them there. And I'm just thankful that I have found a church that... I, it, I kind of forget sometimes that some of these ladies are, are married or that they have kids because it's like, I never see them. <laughs> I, I, because their husbands actually take care of the kids too. Like that's another thing that is like, you know, these women have not just been banished to, you have to now only be a mother and only be a wife. You can't be a friend anymore to people. You can't be your individual person. It's like, no, you, you can have your interests as well. So I would like to see more of that in in the church and, and in Christianity in general, that it's like we are all equal in, in our pursuit of walking out our faith, working out our faith in this world, and it's very difficult. And... The most important thing is the thing that we have in common, which is our sisterhood in Christ. And as a single woman, single Christian, I appreciate the effort that married women and, and married men make to make me feel like I'm not an outsider, you know, that I do belong and that's important and and the end goal isn't isn't to well let's let's hurry up and get you married you know so that you can fit in it's you are a complete person as you are in Christ and we want to get to know you and we want to know that you are you're part of the family right so 
I made good on my promise. This has been one of the longer episodes, but I had I had a lot of thoughts, a lot of realizations, a lot of things to cover. And there's still so much more that that could be discussed on this topic. So as always, if there are questions that you have, if there are things that you want me to go into more detail on or clarify, you can send me a message on Instagram. That That is always an option. I reply to every single message that I get on Instagram uh, from my podcast listeners, not necessarily from everyone, right? Um, but from my podcast listeners, I, I respond to every single one. So I would love to hear from you if you have questions, um, anything. I love talking about this. This is why I have the platform. So that's what I have for you in, in response to this, this rule that you might be using to judge yourself right now that, you know, I'm not married and, and that's, that's, that means I'm less worthy in the eyes of, of God or in the eyes of, you know, my, my church body. It's, I'm here to tell you that that is not true. It might feel like that. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that it can feel like that sometimes, but when it comes to what is true and what is based in scripture, that is not the truth. You do not have less value. You do not have more value, uh, but you do have more time and you have more, more mental space if you don't have kids and you're not married. And I think that, you know, what a, what an opportunity to really dig in and ask God, what is it that you that you want from me? That's what I did at the end of the, this past year. I said, what do you, what is it that you want me to do? I've got all this free time. I'm not, you know, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I'm not even dating. I, I work from home. What do you want me to do? And I felt that this is what God wants me to do for now, is get back into making regular episodes, share with you what God is revealing to me and, you know, just keeping, keep on working out this faith thing as many days that there's breath in my lungs, however many that may be. I don't know. We'll see. But that's what I have for you today. Little plug, shout out again to my book that is now released. It is available on Amazon. If your relationship with your body is something that has been an issue, read this book. It's called The Body Image Solution. It's an introduction to my course, which you can find on thebodyimagesolution.com. But man, if you take this episode to heart, really take it to heart, and then go read that book, you are going to find that so much of your insecurities and the issues that you feel like you have within your body and within your body relationship are linked to the the desire to have men find you attractive. And if you aren't going to get married, here's the thing. If you don't have the intention of getting married and don't have the intention of dating, you don't need to be attractive to men. You don't. And and that's the big kicker. That's a huge thing that I realized today when I was on my walk. I was like, wow, you know, that this part 
that Paul talks about, you know, she's happier as she is. I don't think at the time he realized how profound that statement was going to be and how God was going to use that, like the depths of which that would reach. But if your plan, like just, just saying it for the sake of argument, if your plan is to not get married, not date, not do any of that stuff, you, what would be the point or the purpose or the, the, what would be the need for you to be attractive in the eyes of men? Nothing. <laughs> like, like you literally wouldn't need to be attractive. And I'll dig into all of this in another episode because that, you know, there are implications that a lot of people would jump to like, oh, well, then does that, does that mean this? Does that mean that? What about that? Whatever. We'll get to that. These episodes are going to be coming more consistently now. So we, we will get to that in another episode, but just think about that for a second and then go order that book, go order my book, read it, you know, leave a rating and, and review. If you have the time, that means so much to me. I got a message on Instagram yesterday from a listener who was like, oh, I'm, I'm obsessed with, with your podcast and everything you talk about. And I just ordered your book and I can't wait to read it. And I was like, oh, that literally makes all of this effort worth it to know that it matters to, to you and that it helps, you know, cause I'm just sitting in here in my apartment speaking into a microphone. Like the, it, it might feel like, you know, me really well and, and all that, but like, I don't know you very well. So let's change that. Um, you know, send me a message on Instagram. I literally reply to all of them. So don't think that, oh, she's not going to reply. Yes, she is. <laughs> I'm she. I will reply. Okay. That is what I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And, and I hope that you take this to heart. If you, you know, talk to God about this too. Talk to God about this. Be like, what do you think about this? What is does she have something here? Is this really what you're saying? Like, let this kind of open up discussions between you and God, because that's what, that's what it's really all about. I want to point you towards him, not towards me. So I hope this was helpful. I hope this sparked some, some new thinking for you. And I will be right back here very soon talking about more things like this. So I'll see you next time.